Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. Special treat for you today. Uh, we're going to talk something sort of comics adjacent, uh, but it's my pleasure to welcome Dan Didio back to the show. Dan, thanks for taking the time. Hey, Jace. Thanks for having me, man. It's good to be on. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a long time. Uh, let's start with the uh, the obvious question first. Uh, how are the Mets doing? You know, I mean, let's, they took it two out of three from the Dodgers, so I can't complain. <laughs> Although I'm still trying to figure out why they took Scherz out of the game, but that's okay. Um, oh, yeah, I saw that. That was crazy. That was crazy. For a lot, a lot, long time listeners will know, Dan and I are both huge baseball fans. We always, uh, when we, when I used to run into him at cons all the time, we'd always have to talk some baseball. So I had to, had to get that out of the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, listen, I just have to say also, I made it to Mets spring training and I got a chance to meet Daryl Strawberry, which is probably one of my ultimate goals in life. Um, and it, he was extraordinarily gracious. It was really a just an amazing day. So that, that started off the baseball season right for me this year. So let's see how they do. You know, fantastic. Well, here, here's hoping uh, uh, we get a Mets Rangers World Series. Yeah, right. <laughs> that would be fantastic. So, uh, but actually, everybody, we're here today to talk about Dan's prose novel that recently came out. I had a chance to to read it. Uh, it's called Hide and Seek. Uh, and I'll, I'll put you on the spot, Dan. Give us the elevator pitch. If somebody comes up, uh, if you're doing a, a book signing or something, someone comes up, hey, what's this all about? So tell us about Hide and Seek. Yeah, sure thing. Sure thing. It's about a young boy um, who's just living a normal life, you know, he, he, close to his mother, not so close with his father because his father seems to be always away. Uh, one day um, he lives in a world of superheroes. One day a superhero gets killed. Um, unknown to him, that hero is his father. It explains all the disappearances. But because his father is murdered, Ultimately, him and his mother are whisked away and thrown into a witness protection program to protect them from whatever killed the father, but also for other reasons, too. And uh, I, I like to it's it's a fun story because it's it's about a young kid who has his life torn apart because of something his parents did and then ultimately has to rebuild a life in a place uh, that he doesn't know who to trust or who to believe. Um, and there's a lot of fun twists and turns along the way that I think people be to be have a really find enjoyable. Now, a lot of people, they're going to know you from your decades long work at DC, uh, you know, editor in chief over there and then publisher really helping to steer the line. So I think some of our listeners may be surprised to hear uh, that, you you know, you've taken the plunge to do, you know, writing and not only writing, uh, but also a prose novel. I mean, you've written you wrote things for DC, you know, OMAC and yeah. um, a Phantom Stranger Sideways, one of my favorite uh, things you've done. Uh, but th this really was throwing your hat in a in a in a different ring. So, you know, again, you've written comics before. Why do this as a as a prose novel? Like, what what was kind of the impetus, and uh, and how long have you been working on it? You know, I, this is something I've been working on for about a year plus. But um, I have to ratchet that back a second too, because everybody knows me from comic book days. Uh, but before comics, you know, I did a lot of. Um, writing for articles and 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 magazines um when i was doing publicity for the various soap operas back in new york i actually wrote for television uh in animation so i've always been involved in writing and but i've always been more of a i hate to say it this way but a corporate guy i've always had that corporate job because I, I like that steady paycheck um so i've always had this interest in writing i always loved it and what happened was it, it we hit covid um and there's so much time down um that this was something that i wanted to try and do and i'm glad i did because ultimately hide seek was an idea that i had back in my dc days to be honest with you you know and you know you always think about what you could do the characters and stories and i always had these different ideas in place so once i was out of dc i took some of those ideas and just started reformulating it around new characters and, and new creations and um 
this actually started as a pitch for Netflix, believe it or not. Um, I got a phone call uh, from a producer friend of mine. Uh, Netflix called him looking for uh, a young adult uh, superhero series. And I had the idea in my head. Uh, I gave Kenneth Rockford a call. Together, we created a visual interpretation and a written interpretation of the idea. And we went and, and pitched the, the concept to, to Netflix. Lo and behold, I actually pitched it on the day after they just canceled Jupiter's Legacy. And there seemed to be a lack of interest in superhero material almost immediately. So it's like somebody showed off a switch. Um, so because of that, I still had this idea that I, I sort of got excited about. And when you're creating a Bible, you're fleshing out the entire world. You're not just telling a story. You're creating the world around the story for long-term potential. And I had created this world and all these characters lived in it. And I said, you know what? We've got this time. Let's use it to our advantage. So I started working on the, the book. I found a couple of writers to help me just structure it um, because I'm, I've never written a novel before. So I wanted to get the pacing right and the sensibilities right. Uh, but then I went in, I went in with the story and really put the story I wanted to tell on page. And uh, I was extraordinarily surprised and happy on how well it turned out. Um, I do want to say, though, how much I appreciated the editor from my publishing company uh, because they really kept me on track and help me really find the correct voice that can remain consistent through the line. So it, it, it was good to have all these people able to help me point me in an area and help me in an area that I really didn't have a deep skill set in, you know. It, it, but it does have a sensibility, you know, again, uh, and fantastic that Kenneth, you know, who you worked with on Sideways uh, helped you. There's visuals, there's pages out there. I, I, man, I want to see those. Um but it's so interesting, you know, coming from the world of comics, it does have that sensibility. Obviously, it's a prose novel. There's no pictures, but it did very much feel sort of familiar in a way. We're dealing with superheroes, but I think by doing it prose, obviously, it's a denser read. You you kind of got to flesh out the emotion and the relationships uh, a lot more because it is a very emotional book. It's built on relationships. The relationships the main character, Nick or Theo, has not only the, the relationship he had with his father, you know, and his father's no longer there. And that, that kind of still permeates the book, the relationship he has with his mother. And then the relationship of the friends that he makes in this quote unquote town that they go to. Uh, so that is something that I think that is, you know, enriches it that, that you wouldn't have been able to do in a comic. Yeah. And, and that, that was the fun part. That was the muscle you wanted to try because I've, I've, I've had the good fortune of working with so many talented artists in my life that, they were able to really tell the story with the visuals. And then you're just adding the words to help flesh that concept out. When you have to go in and present and, and really craft the, the entire picture so that everybody understands and sees in their own mind while they're reading the words, what the story is, um, that's, that's, a, that's a lot more work. Um, but it, but it, it, like I said, when you, when you get that goal and people can read it and get that depth and understanding for what you're trying to say from these characters, not just from the dialogue, but the way the situations are described, I think that's a good thing. Um, but again, that comes from background, you know, working in animation and working in, in, in comics, you do have to create environments and express them in a way so the artist knows how to interpret them. Here you have to express them in a way that's still now entertaining to read, not just more clinical in a sense when you used to provide it just to an artist as direction, you know? Well, uh, that yeah, that's 100% true, uh, especially when it comes to things like villains, which I want to I kind of touch on that in, in a second here. <laughs> but, but before we do that, um, I do have to ask you, like, there's that cliche, right? Writers write what you know. Obviously, background in superheroes for a long time. Uh, and and this is a world that is inhabited by superheroes. But again, so much emotion and those relationships that we were just talking about. So, you know, I, not to put you on the spot, how's your relationship with your mom and dad or what have you? But 
there's a lot there. There's a lot there. Like Theo, you know, come to find out his relationship with his mom isn't quite as, you know, great. Basically, she's been lying to him his whole life about his being a hero. And there's other secrets there as well. So talk about developing that. Talk about, you know, inspiration and what you pulled for. for, Oh, uh, yeah. Well, there's a lot of places for me. I mean, honestly, the interesting thing is it's probably I went the other way. Um, I probably took the inspiration from my kids. Um, you know, <laughs> the other way around, you know, I mean, you know, when, when I was growing up, your father was always a bit of a mystery, you know, he had a job, he went away, he came home, he ate, and you never really had that quote unquote 24 seven approach that you had supposed to have with your families. Now he did then they saw, you sort of saw them when you're in the house and then you saw them when you came back in the house and that's mm-hmm. about it. Um, but with myself and my sons, but what happened with my sons was that we moved a couple of times. Um, and I, my son was had to go in and get into a college, a high school in the last year. And I knew about all the, the difficulty he had with that. And at that time, I had traveling going on in my own work. So it was hard to provide that level of help or, you know, uh, support there on any, on any sense. Um, and for me, I, it, it was important to see what they were going through and understand it. Um, and try to help whichever way you can and then extrapolate those some of those sensibilities and bring them to the stories, I think, is what was um, which was fun. I mean, on the other side, though, always had a good relationship with the mothers. Um, the, the funny thing is that the people I always care the most about are the ones always turned into villains. I don't know why but that always <laughs> happens. <laughs> I always think look, I always think if they see themselves in it, they'll pre- they'll at least understand me better than somebody else. So like, I always make some of my, the people I like the best into the most horrific villains I've ever had in a book. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's the thing about this. We we don't meet the villains until kind of right toward the end of, of this main book. But when you do they're they're not villains in their own mind you know we, again to to uh you know quote a cliche you know the heroes of their own story they certainly yeah. have their own sort of agenda and the reason why they're doing things and that that as we know makes the best villains right when you can kind of identify with them you know you, you can see where they're coming from even if you think what they're doing is wrong you at least understand it uh was that something that you you wanted to be sure to do to give depth oh, to oh, the villains absolutely I, I you know the the idea of hero and villain and good and bad and you know, all of that seems to have blended, emerged a little bit in storytelling. A lot, the storytelling is a lot more gray these days. I always, I always laugh. I say when I look at media today, I see two types of stories, two archetypes right now. The one archetype is the seemingly perfect family, the good people doing horrible, horrific things, and then the other one is that horrific person being explained to they become to the point they almost become sympathetic, you know, and it just shows you how we've pushed down the sensibility of the hero and taken it off the pedestal and try to understand the concept of the villain better to justify their actions and behavior. And I think in some cases, people push that too much. I think there is still a line that really defines people. And I want to make sure I still have the defining line of they have to understand what they're doing is kind of bad. Um, but there is this belief that their end result is going to be justified in the day. And, uh, and I think that a lot of people unfortunately follow those credos in some ways, they believe that the bad that they do is justified. Um, but it it still doesn't take the bad away. Uh, and I, I wanted to make sure we focused on the fact that people get hurt in these decisions, regardless of what happens and there are ramifications for every action you do. Yeah. And being that this, uh, is sort of aimed at the demographic YA. I think, you know, the, those are kind of important lessons learned. Obviously you still want it to be a morality tale at the end of the day and recognize who's, who's wrong, who's right, you know, good guy, bad guy, that sort of thing. But 
yeah, important to understand the world is a, is a more gray place. But I, you know, speaking that it's YA, here's the other thing though. Like, you know, I, I'm obviously not a young adult. I read it. I loved it. I think it's so much fun. Um, have you heard? I mean, it's so much different than comics, right? Like, you can call up a retailer, you can call up Diamond. Hey, how how's it doing? Like, how how has this been doing? What, what have you heard? It's only been out for a few weeks. How's it doing? It's it's doing okay. I mean, it's, it's hitting with the comic fans. It's probably getting better pickup in the comic stores than in probably the bookstores right now. But I understand that because again, you have to understand where your market is. And while people might recognize my name in the comic market, maybe not so much outside of that. So it's got to exist in its own right. Uh, so I'm hoping it's a slow burn and people grow. And what I'm hoping to do is connect with with the, the comic fans and have them do the, the pass down, pass down the book into somebody that they think they might enjoy it. And again, you know, this is something that's going to be on a shelf for a while. So it's not going to be there and disappear. It's not going to be replaced with another volume the next month like you right. would do with a comic. So therefore, you know, it's this, you're playing a long game now. You know, it, as I like to say, I equate comics to television and I equate books to film um, because ultimately once you put that out, it's out there for uh, for an extended stay. And I'm, I'm hoping it has a, a long lifetime on the shelves. Yeah. And the ending, uh, you kind of pulled the rug out from under uh, the ending there. And there's certainly room for more. Uh, I guess sort of like a comic depends on sales. Is that uh, is that accurate? That you know, it, I, I have a two book deal with our publisher, um, and to be honest with you, you know, the, the thought was to go right into a second book. Uh, but me personally, um, I'd like to see how this does. I'd like to let it ferment for a while before going out there and rushing out some other volume behind it. Um, you know, and I do have another idea that we're, we're discussing about doing as the, as my as my second book. But I really want this one to exist and stand on its own and be successful at its own instead of thinking. Uh, so many people think, oh, this is a trilogy or this is a franchise or this is something beyond what's what you're reading in front of you. I find that as a distraction. Um, and I almost feel like the person is getting just a piece of the story and not the whole story itself. And I wanted this book to be a full reading experience, even if the ending might seem a little open-ended, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, again, that ending was like, wait, what? So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, again, a really enjoyable. Um, so when you, you know, you mentioned you can see this a long time ago when you're still at, at DC, the story that we get in the book, was that the whole idea or, you know, how easy would it be for you to, to go back? Is there more that you could tell if you, if you chose to? Well, with this, I see when I, when I laid out the, um, when we laid out the concept for TV, it's the reverse. You had to basically go in with three to four seasons worth of ideas. Mm. So I literally have what would be the equivalent of three different books um, that layers the story as it goes forward. Um, because there, and a lot of it, the good part is there's a lot of things that embedded in the first book that if we did do it to other volumes would be paid off, but exist perfectly fine as they are within that book without any sort of distraction of wondering why it's even put there. Mm -hmm. gotcha yeah again well i welcome more but i also would welcome i i'm you're such an idea guy i would welcome you know uh something something different some some other sort of world yeah yeah, yeah, yeah like you know what is you get ex that that's that's my my biggest problem is but working at dc the joy of working at dc was that you got to work on multiple projects at the same time and you got to be involved in so many different things and move your focus into different things and follow that shiny penny uh you know so to speak and uh when you're in, engaged in doing a book, you really have to stay focused on that one particular project, and uh, and that was that's a, that's a discipline that that I still don't have um, that I, I need to I need to improve on. Um, still always improve, but I, I think the best part about this is that 
it was adding and challenging myself in a way I hadn't done before. And uh, that's probably what I was looking for most coming out of DC is finding ways to challenge myself in ways I've never done before and do things that I can build on existing skill sets, but use them in new ways. Yeah, you got to be careful what you wish for, Dan. We'll talk about yeah. we'll talk about Frank Miller uh, and your role uh, over there in a, in a little bit here. But um, one last point I wanted to make about the book: it, when you're crafting a comic book store, you're steering the line. You know, big event comes along, and you have those moments where you're like, "Man, I just can't wait for the readers to see this, the DC fans yeah. to see this moment or see this panel or what have you." When you're doing prose, is it is it the same way? Are there moments in that book where you're like, as you're writing it, you're like, man, I just can't. When someone's reading this, and it's got to be different too, right? Because it's it's a different feedback. It's not kind of that instant feedback you get with with comics. But were there moments yeah. as you're writing them, you're like, man, I can't wait till this is out there and somebody gets to experience it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, the first chapter. I mean, it's it's funny. With the, I always go back to the first chapter. The first chapter was embedded in my brain. It was like even if I didn't write that book, I would write would have written that first chapter. I had that scene in my head. It, it talked to me. It it was alive. Um, and when I finally put it on paper, I'm like, it was like this cathartic release that came along with it because ultimately I had to get that scene out of me, you know. And then ultimately, as the story started to build. I got to a second scene that I had to get out of me. And it was, the, and they're both very confrontational moments, big, big explosive moments. And, but I had both those scenes and that's kind of how I used to work at DC. I used to build a big scene every quarter and say, guys, this is the big scene. Everybody work to this moment. This is what we're all going to reflect. And then I know, because I know once you have that, you have to take the tone down a little bit and catch your breath a little and, and move forward and then ultimately build it back the tension again. And I took some of that pacing and brought that to the book, but I knew I had these two moments that, that would theoretically bookends, even though it wasn't truly the beginning or truly the last scene. Um, and uh, then everything else sort of just fell into place around it. Well, it's a, it's a fantastic read everybody. Again, I got to, uh, to read a preview copy uh, and stayed up late. This is like what well, I couldn't I put so it down. Bad. Yeah, I, I was so I, I went to South South Carolina Comic Con this last week and I was planning on reading it on the plane. Um, but the link that I had gotten for the preview copy had expired. So uh sent a quick email, but I didn't get it till after um I was back home and I was yeah. like, Okay, well, I, I read like a, l a little bit of it and then I just you know, stayed up late, just plowed through the last uh, three hundred or so pages. I couldn't put them down. So I, I don't think when it comes to prose, I don't think there's a really a better recommendation than that when you say one of the things i like about the, the tell the way i wanted to tell the story is that you're in the sense of discovery uh, with the boy mm -hmm. and so therefore everything he's seen for the first time you're hearing for the first time and that was that was something that we tried to maintain throughout the entire story so that we never broke that conceit through the through the telling of that tale so that way everything that happened had to be seen through his eyes in an interesting way and uh and that way that just you were having that sense of discovery with every with every page along the way, and I think that's what keeps hopefully that momentum and that interest going within the within the book itself. Yeah, you know, I didn't. I don't think I realized that until you said it. It's it's like yeah, we we stay with Theo the whole time. It's not one of those that, where it jumps around. Oh, what are these people up to? And we we kind of learn things that Theo doesn't know. Yeah, we stay with him the whole time. Yeah, that's. Yeah, that was. Uh, a, I figured there was, was enough happening in his life that we could stay with him. That's the right. way I look. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I didn't realize that. That yeah, that's an interesting way to structure the story because, uh, and again, yeah, I think that helps 
us kind of experience the same emotions that Theo is, is yeah. or, or Nick is um, is feeling as well. I call him Theo now too. <laughs> <laughs> That's why people say Nick. I'm like, who's Nick? Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> Theo, yeah, Theo, Theo, Theo. Uh, fantastic. Uh, well, we mentioned Frank Miller presents. Uh, that's kind of the the role you're in uh, over there, wearing a lot of hats. You know, not just yeah. publisher. You're writing Ancient Enemies, uh, and you've got this content from uh, Frank. For for listeners that may not uh, know, give us kind of the the idea of what Frank Miller presents is. And I know you get asked all the time, well, how come the books don't come out more often? How come there's not more? So yeah. here's your chance to kind of let people know where you where you you guys are at. Yeah, I mean, Frank Miller Presents is really a company that Frank, myself, and Selene Thomas, who's uh, Frank's partner on his individual productions, uh, we decided to craft this company together. It really is a small boutique. Uh, this is not built to compete with any of the major publishers. This is, really is to do books that we believe in um, to make sure that we maintain a content and quality level throughout the material that we like. And, and the, the idea really was not to be locked into genre. It wasn't be locked into anything other than attitude. Um, we want to make sure that the books felt visceral and interesting. Um, and that's why when we first launched, uh, we launched with uh, a sequel to Ronin, which Frank wanted to do probably since the conclusion of the first Ronin 40 years ago. So he feels like he's doing a story. Uh, for his own company. And he, he felt it was the right way to start because ultimately Ronan, in theory, was one of the first creator-owned projects with a major company. Um, so he feels it made sense for him to use that as a launch pad. I had a series called Ancient Enemies that honestly, talk about starting in different places. This one started in, not as, as my vision for an ultimate DC uh, universe and uh, sort of took that basic conceit and then recrafted it in, into an original product. And then Frank had an idea for a young adult book um uh young adult fantasy and then we brought a creative team in there to really help support him on that uh and the lead on that really is emma kubert um who's joe kubert's granddaughter andy kubert's daughter but also just an incredible talent unto herself so you can see that we we've, we've gone with this manga um science fiction story superhero style story and then also young adult fantasy story and we're going to be constantly playing with genre through this whole thing uh, Frank believes, and I believe too, that we want to make sure art comes first. We want them to be visually exciting and visually interesting. Again, that's very important to us. And we don't want to overproduce. We want to make sure that um, while we're getting a, our, our feet on the ground, that we make sure that the books that we're doing maintains their quality. And then as we move on to the next titles, um, we make, hopefully maintain our schedule better, but that's just, that's the publisher in me talking, <laughs> but there's a lot, there's a lot we're learning along the way and everybody's been great and supportive. The response has been strong. Um, and uh, I've been happy with the product. You know, I get anxious too. I want to put out more, but I want to make sure we stay on track and do what we're doing works the best it can be. And, and realistically between helping run the line, uh, soliciting the line, you know, help promote and market and sales for the line, and then writing ancient enemies. Um, it's it's it, it takes up every hour of the day right now, and then some. You know. Yeah, I mean, again, you mentioned uh, before we started uh, about you know over DC, you had oh, you have this department to handle this, you have this department that handles this, whatever. You you you, there's three of you, and you have to yeah. handle everything. So that's what people have to understand. And again, we all know that Frank is you know, going to be a stickler for details and make sure that the books are the highest quality, not just in terms of story and art, but also in terms of, of production, right? You want to talk about the format that you guys are really. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, we, yeah. We did. When we started out that we started out and we're playing with it right now because I've gotten some really good, interesting feedback from the retailers. We wanted to keep it. Uh, um, we wanted to start on bi-monthly schedules, larger books, thicker reads the way Frank was doing Ronin. It was almost every book was every 
double page was a double page spread for the most important part. So I wanted to make sure we had a, enough of a reading experience. So that's one reason why we kept the books larger. Same thing with Ancient Enemies. We were introducing a whole bunch of concepts, a whole bunch of ideas. And I wanted to make sure that everybody had enough time to at least get established within the book and story. And that's why I went with a larger format there too. Uh, but as we go forward, we realize there's certain, as I like to say, vagrancies within the comic business that we have to work towards uh, because you can change things a bit, but um, some people might not find it as readily. So therefore I wanna make sure that we're creating books in the best way to reach the widest audience. So that's our next phase. But right now I'm really happy with the way the books are. We want quality is important, paper is important. I sit there and discuss and argue about paper stock with Frank Miller, which seems surreal at times, <laughs> right. but, uh, but <laughs> you know, he's getting passionate about paper and I'm like, okay, I got it. You know, <laughs> so it's that's been fantastic. Fun. It's been fun. Fantastic. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, for me, uh, I've, you know, I've read each of them, not, not, I haven't read all the books, but I've, I've read the first issue of each of them. And yeah, a little, a little bit of a struggle. I, I mean, I'm the one that is always telling everybody, make sure you pre-order, make sure you pre-order at your local comic shop. I yeah. didn't pre-order and I, yeah, I missed out on some of the books. So reminder, everybody, if you want these books, make sure, uh, you know, we know the shelves are crowded. We know, uh, it's a boutique publisher, as Dan said. So if you want the books, make sure you're telling your retailer so they can order them ahead of time. Yeah, I mean that's the case also. I mean, it's the, the truth is we're a little higher priced to the uh, the um, the Ronin book seven ninety nine, but it's an over double size issues each one. It's a fifty six page book. Um, Ancient Enemies five ninety nine, but that's a forty eight page book. And then um, you know then Pandora is three ninety nine, which as a regular size, and Pandora is monthly, uh, while the other ones are bi monthly. But I, I created a rhythm with Ancient Enemies where we have the main story that's on a bi monthly story, but each one of the characters I break out and one shots in between, so we keep of presence on the shelves um and those those books are a, a smaller book um but I'm, I'm having fun with it i think that's what matters um I, I like the material we like it and we're really playing to our interests and likes um and then the other thing that we're doing now and I, i've mentioned this a couple of times we're actually going out and soliciting new talent um part of frank's goal also is craft it's about handing down the craft and working with new talent and building the proper skill sets and muscles for people so that they have longevity in a business. Um, there's a lot of people experience a lot of success right away, um, but sometimes they get overwhelmed with it and sometimes they lose focus. And Frank is one of those people has done that, but also had a strong mentor in someone like Neil Adams that really gave him the disciplines needed to be successful. Um, and he feels that this is something that's important. He's him and Emma Kubert. They meet once a month. And I got to remember, Emma was taught by her grandfather and father and teaches at the Kubert School. And she still sits with Frank every month and they talk about art and coloring and design and layouts. And you could see just this exchange of thoughts and ideas because Frank's listening as much as he is talking. And there's this great give and take uh, that takes place there that I think um, is essential in comics. I think the worst thing about comics is working as an individual in a, in a very closed set. I think the collaborative nature of what comics make them great. And it's great to find people who are willing to collaborate with you and bring their creativity to the project and help elevate things to, as it goes forward. And that's, I've been lucky with the people that I've been working with too. So it's been fun. Yeah. And uh, I'll put a link everybody to the website, the, the Frank Miller uh presents website there's the series that dan talked about you can kind of get a synopsis of what they are and there's some some other ones that are coming down the line uh once once they uh have time 
Um, yeah. Uh, so those are coming as well. Uh, if somebody like myself has missed some some issues, uh, is, are things sold out of Diamond? What like what's the best way? Oh, no, we got, I think we still have stuff in Diamond still. I mean, uh, uh, all the, the 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 Frank Miller variants are the only ones that are sold out right now, as far as I understand. Uh, but the other books are out there and available, so they're they're you're, you're, they're gettable at this moment. Um, you know, we we keep our print runs tight. We run it. You know, we run an efficient ship. Um, Frank was. Spoke, I should have, well, I guess I could say it. Uh, he, he's against, he was against investment. <laughs> he really wanted to own and control for us to be in charge of our product all the way through right. to the bottom. And that's the way we run it. So we run it very tight because it's it's 100% us. Um, and we're making all the choices and decisions. So it, it falls 100% on your shoulders. Um, you know, and there's the good, again, good or bad of everything, but right. there's no denying that you get a chance to really implement your vision, your direction, and more importantly, uh, you're responsible for success and failure of whatever you put together, um, which I think is the right way to be. You know? Yeah. What's interesting about that, uh, everybody, is is you know there's not some big glut out there, so there's a collectability factor as well. And if, if they're not sold out at Diamond, as Dan said, then you can go. I, I'm going to go to my shop and be like, hey, I, I'm missing the second issues of you know these. Go to your shop, ask for it. They can yeah. still order them, even if uh, and and you know as you're pre-ordering the new issues, they don't miss anything new. You can yeah. get those. Uh, yeah, get and, and and we're and we haven't done multiple variants. Also, we haven't played that game. We have one variant on every book, and that's about it. So there's one green cover. There's a second cover. Both open to buy, accessible to everyone. Um, and I think that's again, we have to. We want the material that's inside the book to be the the reason why people buy the book. Right, covers um, a wonderful sales tool to get people interested. But getting them back month in and month out, the quality of the material inside is going to matter. I don't want people just buying a book for a cover. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, no variants on hide or seek either. Uh, the one <laughs> cover there. Uh, Absolutely right. <laughs> and again, I I really recommend it, everybody. It's such a fun read. One of those things, you know, are you looking to get your kid interested in reading? Comics is always a great way to do it. But something like hide or seek, real page turner is great. Share it with your kid. Bedtime story, you know, chapter, two chapters a night because they're not long chapters. Um, and, and yeah, I really recommend it. So, Dan, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today. As we're finishing up here, anything you want to let our listeners know uh, about the the novel or uh, Frank Miller Presents? No, actually, the, I, I think you said it all. I mean, the, what I'm most excited about is that I'm really excited about the material. Um, and I'm, I'm looking, I really, it, a lot of these things you have to look and find. So I'm going to tell people, if you're going to look, find it, you can go order. The good part about the books, especially with Hard to Seek, you can order it online, Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, um, or else you can find them in a store, maybe, <laughs> hopefully. Uh, but but realistically, um, it's it's worth seeking out um, and hopefully get a chance to enjoy it when you, when you when you do get it. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I got the preview copy, read it all, but I, I, I need my hard copy. <laughs> I need my hard copy. Uh, I want it on my shelf, you know, because it's, it's that's just one of those things. You read something, you love it. You know, even though I read digitally, I'm still buying, you know, uh, yeah. hard copies of books because it's that collector mentality. I mean, you and I came up when we were buying them, you know, at the, the convenience store. So uh, yeah. you, you love something, you want to you wanna have it, you want to own it. So. Uh, well, again, thanks so much, Dan, for taking the time. Uh, do you want to let everybody know, uh, are you active on social media? Like if somebody reads a book and wants to reach out and give you their thoughts? Uh, where's oh, absolutely. Uh, best ways to reach me right now, uh, we have uh, uh, Frank Miller Presents on both Facebook and on Instagram. And then we have frankmillerpresents.com. You put messages there. Uh, they all get sent over to me. We And we make sure we get back to everybody that writes us. Fantastic. Uh, well, best of luck with uh, the novel. Hope it does really well. 
uh, and look forward to that second one at, at some point. And yeah, keep doing what you're doing as Frank Miller presents. Uh, from what I've read so far, uh, it's it's fantastic stuff. So appreciate, appreciate, it. appreciate it. Thank you so much. And to all you listeners, want to thank you for joining us as well. We appreciate you taking the time. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.